The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We've been hearing a lot about personal responsibility when it comes to COVID 19. We just heard a clip during the 2 o'clock news from uh, the Prime Minister pretty much saying, Hey guys, it's up to you to get this thing under control. We've been hearing, uh, you know, politicians asking people to do their part, depending on them to slow the spread, reduce case numbers, death, and help out the healthcare system. In fact, we keep being told that things must be taken seriously, that all of this rests in your hands. Heck, I've been saying that. But it seems we're hearing it most from our leaders. Take a listen. This must be taken seriously. We are putting our faith in the good judgment of Albertans. Opportunity for these measures to be effective rests in Albertans' hands. No one wants to have a government tell us how many people we can have in our homes. The alternative to voluntary action by Albertans is mandatory restrictions. We want to encourage all Albertans to go above and beyond, look at these measures and embrace them for two weeks. I don't think it's unreasonable for people to suspend these kinds of gatherings for the time being. If we can put a dedicated effort into reducing our close contacts, to distancing, to masking, that is the opportunity to have these measures make a difference. We believe from the very beginning that buy-in from fellow Albertans is the most effective way forward as opposed to enforcement. That buy-in is most effective. Dr. Amy Kaler is a sociologist at the University of Alberta who has studied infectious disease, and she says Alberta is past peak responsibility. She joins us now. Dr. Kaler, thanks for making the time this afternoon. My pleasure, Jalen. When you hear those comments just moments ago from Dr. Hinshaw and Premier Kenny about the buy-in and getting everyone to get on board, what goes through your mind? Uh, There's nothing wrong with buy-in and getting everybody on board. Uh, There's nothing, it's a good idea to let people know this is serious and that there are things that you can do as an individual that will reduce both your risk and social risk. But um, we're at the point, we're eight months into a pandemic. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. It's getting worse really quickly. So strategies that rely on advising, giving people good advice, telling them to smarten up, telling them to take responsibility um, are past their sell-by date. Individual responsibility and sort of exhortations to make good choices will get you so far, but you know, not beyond that. So I'm, when I hear that, I think, okay, what else are we doing besides telling people that we expect them to make smart choices. So you don't necessarily think that there's any gains to be made right now and I suspect because you believe that the people who have bought in have bought in and are following what they're being asked to do. That's what I uh, suspect to be the case. I don't know if there's anybody for whom it is news that wearing a mask in public um, is is a good idea. I don't, don't think there's anybody who's unaware that there's a virus out there which is Uh, transmitted through close personal contact at the beginning of the pandemic when this was new when no one had experienced anything like this before absolutely there's a that is when people need to know what's going on they need to know that it's serious they need to know how they can protect themselves but we aren't at the beginning of the pandemic anymore Mm. I don't I don't know if we're we're not near the end of it either which is 
the unfortunate thing. Dr. Kaler, you wrote uh, in an open letter to Premier Kenny, the health minister and chief medical officer of health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, as I mentioned, that you think we're past peak personal responsibility. You you suggested in it that we're right now, you know, the, the people who have bought into it, are, are following the rules as, as best they can. And also suggested then, on, on the other hand, we're left with people who are able to take proactive measures but don't because they don't feel like it. And I can be honest with you, I'll have to look at my text line and tell you that I hear from them pretty much every day. Right. And then there are people who might be willing to take those measures but are very concerned about um, their financial situation, about their businesses, mm-hmm. all of those things. Let's start with those who don't want to do it because they don't feel like it. Is there anything we can do at that point with those? I think um, the sort of hearts and minds approach of, of just telling people this is you know the right thing to do and you ought to do it is becomes a bit of a, a waste of time with, with some people who have a vested interest or they have a personal stake in believing that there is no virus, it's all overblown, the government's controlling our minds, what have you. I'm not sure there's a lot that can be, do, mm-hmm. can be done to change those beliefs. What we can do is change our social environments, change the, you know, the, the structures that we operate in so that people who don't feel like following the guidelines have a reduced opportunity to, to harm others, to transmit infection to others. And how do we do that? Well, unfortunately, we're in a position where the the way we we do it is by closing things. Mm. Um, there was, I think we have, I think there wasn't a window of opportunity um, where if we had had really good testing and especially really good contact tracing and tracking, we could have have kept this thing at a low level. And other jurisdictions have done that, and it's worked really well. But I'm looking at the numbers over the last couple of weeks. I'm looking at the test positivity rate, and I'm thinking of how much it would take to try to trace, track, isolate people that are positive now, you know, in mid-November. And I, I fear that that window has gone by us, and we're in a situation where the only way to bring numbers down is by closing down the, the, um, the places in which infections can spread. I mean, part of the problem is is that we're not necessarily sure where that infection is spreading right now. Forty percent going, um, you know, we're just not aware of where it's happening. And so, when you look at what was announced yesterday, it looks like they're trying to take a shot at the dark, shot in the dark, saying, "Hey, there, it might happen here." Um, but that's really ticking people off uh, as as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, it's going to tick people off. It, you know, it. it tick me off you know the, the restrictions that were announced yesterday will have an impact on you know on my life and and my family's life and I'm not happy about that uh, the curse of effective public health measures is mm. well there are two curses one is that um, they're never popular nobody likes them because they always involve intrusion and intervention into you know parts of your life where you want to do what you want to do and the other is that if they're effective, if they work, they always appear in hindsight to have been too extreme or to have been an overreach. So it, it's almost a truism. You know when, a, when public health prevention has been effective, 
when people are complaining and saying this goes too far and this is ridiculous and we don't need this. So if we go back to those um, to those people who don't feel like it, who don't want to, uh, you know, follow the rules for for whatever reason, um, and 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 you and you talk about removing those opportunities not to follow the guidelines, uh, as we mentioned on, on shutting things down. What about? you know fining people for for non-compliance what about fining people for breaking curfew if there was a curfew what about you know hitting them in the park pocketbook or charges i'm yeah i am undecided about that to be honest um for a couple of reasons um fines and charges are things that happen after the problem has occurred mm. um the hope is that they have a deterrent effect and they deter other people from doing whatever the behavior was, because they don't want to be fined either. But by the time you're finding or charging somebody, you know, the thing that you didn't want to happen has happened. Uh, so that's one reason I'm, I'm not sure what I think. The other reason is that we know a lot of um, surveillance and policing measures are not applied impartially and uniformly and mm. tend to fall most heavily on communities that may be marginalized or that may be experiencing a lot of stresses already and i would not want to add to inequity and inequality by introducing measures that will impact um, some people a lot more than other people dr amy kaler joining us this afternoon we go back to that other group then people who might be willing to take these measures um, and in the letter you say but they don't because they have quote reasonable grounds to fear why uh, or to fear that they would face negative consequences if they did and as i mentioned a lot of them are you know uh, financial they're worried about their businesses they're worried about their job they're worrying about their next paycheck how they're going to feed their kids and again i hear that all of the time there are there's a lot of folks out there that saying you know what you can't wrap your head around what it's like not to have a job right now or have your income cut back so very much you know now you have a job you don't have to worry about that I'm hearing that all the time how do we how do we get those folks to buy in I mean we do you think we need to have better programs put in place from the federal government they've rolled them out uh, it seemed like every day there was a new announcement at the start of all of this have we done a good enough job there's room for a lot more um, I yeah I have every sympathy with people who say you know I can't stay home with a sick kid because then I lose my shift mm -hmm. and then I lose you know the pay that is absolutely uh, a, a terrible position to be in um, what the role of governments whether it's federal or provincial is to change the environment change the distribution of resources so that those those kind of horrible trade-offs don't have to be made so if you're you know if your child is sick if you're staying home to look after a sick kid here you can qualify for this funding and it will reach you quickly there's some federal money for that already um i wish there was more mm -hmm. yeah. for businesses you know that are, are facing difficulty making their rent payments or paying their mortgages here is rent relief that goes to tenants this way if you have to close or if you limit the capacity of your business and it hurts you financially you will be okay your business won't go under it's the role of government not just to 
remind us to do things and tell us what to do, but to make it possible for us to do those things. You have been um, talking with some of your colleagues uh, who work in public health in the U.S. And when what, what are you hearing from them? If, if you look at um, cities like Edmonton, for example, and compare them to like cities in the U.S., what are you seeing there? And if there's a, a red flag to be to be waved, what is it? Well, um, my colleagues in public health would be saying, do the math. Um, look at doubling times in terms of number of cases. Look at doubling times in terms of number of new admissions to hospital and to ICU. And you see that, you know, lines going from you know, being lines to being curves that, that swoop up quite dramatically. Um, and that's what we see. I've looked at a few cities that are comparable to Edmonton in population and you know they're fairly low density midwestern places and uh, and it's bad you know they are um, check out El Paso Texas mm-hmm. for instance if you want an example their hospitals are overloaded the morgues are not able to um, to to receive the number of deceased individuals that are coming in and there is nothing the virus is not going to change its mind and decide to be a nice virus there's nothing that keeps edmonton from becoming el paso at some point um unless you know absent effective interventions it's it's hard you know it's it's this balance and we we've heard it from dr hinchon we've heard it from premier kenny about you know you know about balancing um, the health system and the health of Albertans and the economy. Does it have to be a, a one or the other? Can it be a, a mix of that? I mean, if you look at hard resets, you look at targeted lockdowns, I mean, it's, it's just, um, it, it's difficult and it's frustrating. And as I mentioned, people are, are ticked off and you're, you said you're, you're ticked off as well, but do we know how those are working? We know that um, that hard resets of complete lockdowns reduce, uh, they, they work. The short answer is, yeah, they work. Um, I, it's too soon. I could not tell you what's going to be the outcome of the measures that were uh, proposed or that are being implemented yesterday. My sense is that they're too tentative and too partial to be really effective, but I, I could be completely wrong about that. Um, I think one way to think about balancing public health and the economy is to think in terms of scale. You know, if we um, if we lock down, if we restrict economic activity in the short term, what we are doing is we are buying a normal economy or the chance to have a normal economy in 2021, 2022, 2023. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like pay now and enjoy later unfortunately and that's not yeah that, that, that's public health not being popular yeah but and that goes back to making sure that we have the right programs in place so the people who aren't getting a paycheck get some co- sort of coverage so they're not hung out to dry right absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah um, yeah health is many things the virus is a big part of it but there's you know there's stressors there's mental health there's all these other things and I am concerned that the provincial government is not willing to put out the resources that are necessary to enable people to make choices that will help slow down COVID um, without too much suffering being brought on themselves. 
it's, it's easier, it's much easier to tell people and remind them and make <laughs> suggestions and make guidelines than it is to say we're going to take $30 million and we're going to use it to protect our economy. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Amy Kaler joining me this afternoon. Before I let you go, you uh, said in the uh, the end of your letter that you were hoping to hear back from the Minister of Health, the Premier and, the, and Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Have you heard back from them yet? Um, I got an email from someone, I believe, in the Premier's office thanking me for my email and saying it had been passed along. Um, but that's it. Mm, interesting stuff. Thank you for your insight this afternoon. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. much. Uh, sociologist Dr. Amy Kaler, who says, you know what, right now that uh, Alberta is past peak responsibility, that uh, people who have bought in are have bought in and, and, and they're, they're, they're following it, but also suggesting that, you know, for those who might be willing to buy in, but are worried about their jobs, they're worried about all of these things and paying their bills, that maybe we got to look at some other things. We need to make sure that the proper programs are in place, that people are being covered, that if, um, you know, tougher measures were put in place, that people are covered because, gosh, we just do not want to go through and see what we have seen. We don't want any more businesses to close in this province, in this country. We do not want any more people to not have a job. Interesting thoughts, interesting conversation. You can check her out, uh, Amy Kaler, on Twitter, and you can see that letter right there. All right, uh, the health system is in uh, a challenging position right now. We know that yesterday the Grey Nuns Hospital in Woods had been placed on uh, diversion protocols.